Okay, please take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to the book of Esther. And the words to which I'll call your attention tonight come to us from chapter 4. We'll look at all 17 verses of Esther chapter 4. We'll read uh, the Word together this evening as an act of worship. It was Paul's command to Timothy to give attention to the public reading of the Scriptures. And that's what we do this evening. This is God's inerrant and infallible Word. Please give attention to it. When Mordecai learned all that had been done, Mordecai tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the midst of the city. And he cried out with a loud and bitter cry, He went up to the entrance of the king's gate, for no one was allowed to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. And in every province, wherever the king's command and his decree reached, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting and weeping and lamenting, and many of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's young women and her eunuchs came and told her, The queen was deeply distressed. She sent garments to clothe Mordecai so that he might take off his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther called for Hathok, one of the king's eunuchs, who had been appointed to attend her and ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn what this was and why it was. Hathok went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate, Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa for their destruction that he might show it to Esther and explain it to her and command her to go to the king to beg his favor and plead with him on behalf of her people. And Hathok went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. Then Esther spoke to Hathak and commanded him to go to Mordecai and say, All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I have not been called to come into the king these thirty days. And they told Mordecai what Esther had said. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish." And who knows whether you have come not have and who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa, and hold a fast on my behalf, and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. 
thus far the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this word. We ask now for your blessing. Lord, the reading of your word is of no benefit to us if you do not work in and through it to give us understanding by your spirit so that we as your people might feast upon it and bring forth its fruit. Help us to do that now. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Our sermon text this evening finds us back in the book of Esther and looking now at um, chapter 4, which uh, some would consider the, the third act of this ongoing drama. And it's been building, hasn't it? We've, we've felt the, the conflict as it's uh, sort of built and built. And, and there's on the one hand the conflict between Esther and Mordecai and the moral law of God. And well, what kind of Jews are you um, if you totally disregard God's law in order to get ahead in life, as it were? But then in Act 2, chapter 3, well, the conflict intensified, didn't it? Mordecai, in a, a show of conscience that seemed to come out of nowhere, defied Haman. And now all of the Jews find themselves condemned for the act of one man. Sounds like a familiar story. The Jews are in the straits of despair, as it were. Their death has been decreed. All of them will die. Men, women, and children. What is there left to do but to weep and to wail over this circumstance? And as we read through chapter 4, maybe some of you are thinking to yourself... Have you ever felt a time when uh, you were helpless? It seemed like your circumstances had gone over your head and there was nothing, absolutely nothing, that you can do to fix it, to change it, to help it. Have you ever felt as though life was living you? Perhaps you've received a difficult diagnosis or you felt the threat of job loss or a financial difficulty. Often we find that these times, these circumstances in life reveal the real basis of our hope, don't they? They reveal to us the real basis of our trust. What, what are, am I really trusting in? Often we learn how vain we really are, don't we? Something gets taken away. Often we learn that we are more concerned with appearances than with our own character. Brothers and sisters, in God's hands, in God's hands, the difficult times of life will strip away vanity. They work like that 
paint stripper that takes away the layers upon layers that you've added to that piece of furniture and they reveal underneath a beautiful piece. Not because there's a particular inner beauty in and of ourselves, but because in the Lord's hands, through these difficult circumstances, He reveals the beauty of Christ Jesus to us. Uh, when I was little, one of the, this shows how far we've come, one of the popular Christmas items was a rock tumbler. You take these rocks out of your backyard and you put them in this little machine that turns them around and around and around and they come out polished. You know, it's the kind of, the kind of rocks that you go to Gatlinburg and you buy there and you think, boy, these are really special. And you keep them in your pocket and you rub them. In God's hands, the difficult times of life are sort of like that rock tumbler. They beautify the children of God. They're not pleasant, but they have a good effect in our lives. They humble us before the Lord and teach us to seek His help. They show us how vain we can really be. Well, as we look at the first three verses of Esther chapter 4, we, we find uh, first that Mordecai's circumstance had robbed him of his vanity, didn't it? Mordecai's circumstance robbed him of his vanity. Notice when Mordecai learned all that had been done. Mordecai tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the midst of the city and he cried out with a loud and a bitter cry. We don't have the usual formula that introduces each of the acts, do we? If you go back to chapter 3, we read after these things. Well, here we just go right into Mordecai's activity without that phrase, after these things. And so it leads us to believe that there probably wasn't much of a passage of time from chapter 3 to chapter 4. In fact, it might have been the very same day Mordecai learning what had been done by Haman, his arch-nemesis, tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes. The events of chapter 4 likely take place then on or right after the Passover day. So that's the link, remember, that we have to chapter 3. If you go back up to chapter 12, then the king's scribes, this is chapter 3, verse 12, then the king's scribes were summoned on the 13th day of the first month, and an edict according to all that Haman commanded was written to the king's satraps. And so that went out on the next day, the 14th day of the first month, which was the day of Passover, well, that edict came into the hands of Mordecai. And the day of remembering God's deliverance gave rise to yet another work of salvation in behalf of God's people. Well, how did Mordecai respond to this devastating news? He tore his clothes. He put on sackcloth and ashes and he cried out with a loud cry. Where did he do this? 
Not in the privacy of his own home. Mordecai went into the very inner part of the city square. He went to the citadel as far in as he could go to the king's gate. And there was Mordecai clothed in sackcloth and ashes and crying out with this mournful, lamenting cry. Although Mordecai, we know, wasn't in the innermost circle of the king, he soon learned of the king's decree. And notice in verse 7 that he even knew the amount that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasuries. Notice verse 7, and Mordecai told uh, Hathak all that had happened to him and the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. So Mordecai had something of an inner knowledge, a a knowledge of what was going on here, knew of the tons of silver that Haman had promised to pay. And now Mordecai's affiliation with his people, the Jews, was on full display. All of that... All of that ambition, getting Esther into the inner court, getting her selected as queen, perhaps having some ambitions for himself, thinking perhaps that turning in the eunuchs who had planned the king's destruction, that this was going to work out in the long term for a promotion for Mordecai. Well, now the choice being forced upon him, he's chosen to identify himself with his people, the Jews. And rather than seek to hide away or flee, Mordecai seemingly sought to take his appeal straight to the king. He clothed himself with sackcloth, which is a rough kind of fiber that the Jews or anyone who was mourning would clothe themselves in to sort of abuse the flesh as it were. It was a a rough fabric. It was worn to aggravate the skin. As an additional show of mourning, uh, the people would take ashes or sometimes they would take dirt and put it upon their heads so that there was this very visible, very public display Sometimes of mourning in Isaiah chapter 58 verse 5 we find these two words put together there that the people were mourning in sackcloth and ashes. One that I would have you note if you turn over to your left to Nehemiah chapter 9 we see it in another place. Nehemiah chapter 9 verse 1 now On the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth and with earth on their heads. And the whole reason for this assembly, for this convocation of the people of God and this visible representation with sackcloth and ashes was a sign for them of repentance. They assembled themselves together as a congregation to confess to the Lord. Don't you find that somewhat appropriate? 
After all that we've read so far in the book of Esther and learned of of Mordecai's work to to get Esther to, to become the concubine in the palace of a pagan king, isn't it appropriate that this man should be clothed in sackcloth and ashes? Isn't it appropriate that we should find Mordecai in an estate of humiliation? That the father figure to Esther, who was apparently an only child herself, would be turned over by him to be a prostitute in the harem of a pagan king. This man who resisted giving honor to Haman, perhaps out of jealousy, shouldn't this man be in a place of humility and repentance? Isn't it interesting that in all of this work that the Lord has brought Mordecai low? This story has followed then an appropriate Israelite pattern. If you read through the book of Judges, you find that the nation of Israel are brought through this pattern over and over and over again. Israel did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and the Lord's anger was provoked against them. The the Lord would bring the sword against them. Some sort of foreign enemy would come against Israel, and, and in the light of that impending doom, what would Israel do? Well, they would clothe themselves in sackcloth and ashes. They would cry out to the Lord for help. And what would the Lord do? Over and over and over again, He would raise up a judge to deliver them from their enemy, to show them His kindness. He would provide a Redeemer And at the end of the book of Judges, we find the explicit reason for Israel's repeated cycle. Four times at the end of Judges, we are reminded that they had no king. They were a kingless people. Scattered, as it were, into their confederate societies, into their tribal societies, with no unity of purpose and vision. Therefore, the book ends with this Sad reminder that everyone did what was right in his own eyes. What a familiar story. We find the same thing to be true in Mordecai's life. Here is a man who is exiled from his own country, has never ever probably set foot in Jerusalem. He's a Jew in name only, has adopted to himself the habit of a Persian man, even seeking the favor of a Persian king, And God brings the sword to humble him. What Judges teaches explicitly, the book of Esther teaches implicitly. Though Jehovah is not mentioned as the author of these circumstances, we know that He is, and we know that these circumstances are ultimately for Mordecai's good. And so the question as we reflect on these for personal application, we we have to ask, are these circumstances good for us? Are they good for you? 
When the Lord takes your circumstance from feeling blessed as though everything is coming up daisies, you put in a dollar and you get back two. You feed the machine and you get that glorious stuffed animal dropped down the chute and you're a winner and everything is going well for you to suddenly it seems like everything is taken away. It feels as though the economy is against you. The government is against you. Your neighbor is against you. You are the only one. It feels like living on an island. And why is this? Are these circumstances reflective of a God who has forgotten His people? No, as we look at these circumstances in the life of Mordecai, we remember that these are circumstances orchestrated by a God who is a great shepherd who knows how to lead His sheep to the green pasture. And sometimes we find ourselves eating in someone else's pasture, not knowing it perhaps, and God leading us back sometimes through difficult circumstances to say, no, eat over here. He humbles us. But here's the thing. If we don't recognize that these things are from the Lord's hand, then we won't get the point. And so Mordecai is humbled by the Lord. And the next thing that we see that Esther herself showed great concern for vanity and civil obedience. In verses 4 through 11, notice in verse 4 that when this news reached Esther, somewhere there in the white palace, she became deeply distressed. Verse 4, when Esther's young women and her eunuchs came and told her, the queen was deeply distressed. Esther was fearful. She became afraid. This affected her deep down. She was hurt, pained over what was happening to Mordecai, and her response showed that. Notice how Esther responded. What, and think in your own mind, how would you respond if this was your father figure who had raised you from a youth and brought you into his own home? How would you respond if you saw him there? mourning, weeping, clothed himself with sackcloth and ashes in the center of the king's court, what would you do? Esther sent garments in the hands of her young women so that Mordecai might change. Esther seemingly sought to clean Mordecai up before she asked him what was wrong. Isn't this very like us? You think of that young mother who feels the stares of all the eyes when she's trying to correct her child in the middle of the grocery store. She doesn't want to create a scene, but she wants to correct the behavior. Esther seems more concerned about appearance than about the problem. She sent clothes first. But the remaining verses, 5 to 11, describe a dialogue that took place between Esther and Mordecai. And this, this conversation was mediated, as it were, by different parties. First, by her ladies' maids, and then 
by a man by the name of Hothok, one of the eunuchs. This whole scene gives us further insight into the nature of Esther's queenship. Notice in verse 5, when it, then Esther called for Hothog, one of the king's eunuchs, who had been appointed to attend her, and ordered him to go to Mordecai, notice, to learn what this was and why it was. In other words, she's saying now, finally, because Mordecai rejected the set of clothing, said, no, I'm going to go on mourning here. Finally, Esther says, well, what's wrong? What's the matter? Why all this get-up? Mordecai had to explain what happened. Esther did not know about the decree. Further, notice in verse 11... Esther says there at the end of that whole phrase, I have not been called to come into the king these 30 days. What picture do we have of this supposed queenship of Esther? Well, the picture is a further confirmation that Esther was no more a wife to Ahasuerus than any of the other concubines. And in this, you and I are reminded that if you cannot accomplish something through obedience to Christ, you should not try to accomplish it. Like the man who moves his family to an area with no good churches so that he may obtain a job promotion, he exchanges the spiritual welfare of his family for more money. And you think, is it worth it? The pursuit of vain ambition always seems in our best interest, but often takes us away from the Lord. Notice another thing, another characteristic of Esther, that although Esther seemed very unconcerned about loyalty to Jehovah, she is now very concerned about loyalty to the king. Look at verse 8 with me. Mordecai also gave Hathak a copy of the written decree issued in Susa, for their destruction, that he might show it to Esther and explain it to her and command her to go to the king to beg his favor and plead with him on behalf of her people. In other words, Mordecai is saying, now Esther is the time to reveal yourself, either reveal or be revealed. And notice her response in verse 11. All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. Esther knows the law. She's become acquainted with the law. If perhaps only this one that Ahasuerus has said, do not come in here 
Because if I do not lower my scepter to you, you will certainly die. Mordecai commanded her to go to the king, to beg his favor, to plead with him on behalf of her people. Here, though, Esther was very concerned about civil loyalty. She knew that she would be put to death if she violated the king's law. And it begs a question, how many of us are more concerned with civil obedience than with godliness? How many of you won't drive without your driver's license in your pocket? You make sure that it is in your purse before you leave the house. You open the glove box to make sure that your insurance cards are in there or that you can quickly access it on your app. You never go in the woods with a gun without having your hunting license on your person. You pay your taxes on time every time. How many of us are as scrupulous in our obedience to God's law? Isn't it interesting to find now that Esther is very, very concerned about loyalty to the king when before she wasn't concerned at all with loyalty to Jehovah? We can be that same way. But notice in the end how God the great shepherd continues to move his people in the direction of righteousness. Lastly, we see, thirdly, that circumstantial need drove humility and trust. Mordecai, in verses 12 to 17, makes one thing very clear. To Esther. Listen, the choice is not between living and dying, Esther. The choice here is how do you want to die? Either she would die at the hands of Ahasuerus or she would die at the hands of those killing the Jews. Notice in verse 13. Mordecai's words. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. All that was in Esther's hands to do was to choose. Would she die a silent martyr? Or would she die a courageous one? Would she die with her her people? Or would she die for her people? And Mordecai was clear, wasn't he? If you do not act, a deliverer will arise from somewhere else. Think of this, Esther. Have you not been raised up for such a time as this? The implicit reference to the providence of an almighty God. The first time that we see it from 
from Mordecai's lips. No explicit reference yet, but the implicit reference. This is being guided. This is not a surprise to us. We've already seen it in chapter 3. The men who were casting lots to determine the right time. The fact that the decree went out on the Passover day. We already know that God is directing all of these events. And now, bringing this man Mordecai low to teach him humility to bring him to himself. And we find that Esther made the courageous choice. Look in verse 16. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Mordecai identified with the people of God and now Esther chose to do so as well. They were were driven to this By the unseen hand of God, interestingly, of course, not mentioned in these latter verses where it seems totally natural to reference Jehovah's work. I want you to look with me at Amos chapter 4. Amos, of course, is in the Minor Prophets. If you find the book of Daniel, keep turning over. Having Jesus always offers joy. Amos is the always. Hosea, Joel, Amos. And then turn to Amos chapter 4. I have, over the course of us enduring the difficulties of the coronavirus, I have come back to this chapter over and over and over again. It, It stands out to me like a beacon. And as we think about how Mordecai and Esther have responded to these circumstances, there is one particular lesson that we should take away from it. It is a lesson made explicit in Amos 4 that God will often use difficult circumstances to drive His people back to Himself. I'm going to read Amos chapter 4, verses 6-12. through 12. I gave you Notice the origin of all these difficult circumstances. I gave you cleanness of teeth in all your cities, that is, uh, famine, and lack of bread in all your places, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I also withheld the rain from you when there were yet three months to the harvest, I would send rain on one city and send rain on another city. One field would have rain, and the field on which it did not rain would wither. So two or three cities would wander to another city to drink water and would not be satisfied. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I struck you with blight and mildew, your many gardens and your vineyards, your fig trees and your olive trees, the locusts devoured, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I sent among you a pestilence after the manner of Egypt. I killed your young men with the sword and carried away your horses, and I made the stench of your camp go up into your nostrils, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. 
I overthrew some of you, as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah, and you were as a brand plucked out of the burning, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus I will do to you, O Israel, because I will do this to you, prepare to meet your God, O Israel. When you find yourself in hard times, your flesh by instinct seeks self-preservation. When God sent uh, drought to the people of Israel, their fleshly response was just to go to the next town, to drink all of their water, to go to the next town to drink all of their water. Many men and, and women cling so hard to this life that it would seem they do not believe in the life to come. Or we believe God surely couldn't have decreed our circumstances. But you and I must believe that God has ordered the hard times of life to bring us to Himself. The whole purpose of economic, financial difficulty, of difficulties of health, all of these brothers and sisters are designed to drive you to the Lord, not away from Him. Accepting all things as God's decree helps us to rest in Him. We know that He has ordained whatever comes to pass, and that whatever comes to pass is for His glory. Therefore, when you find yourself in the midst of persecution, or plague, your resolve must be to turn to the Lord, not away from Him. This is His explicit will for you. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that all things are in Your hand. You order every single thing. And when we see things from Your sight, when we see things with Your eyes, we recognize that there really is no such thing as chaos. It looks like that to us. And Father, just as You did for Mordecai, you, what You did for Mordecai and for Esther You brought the sword against them, and why? To turn them from sin back to the path of righteousness. Lord, we ask You, Father, our circumstances right now seem like they are full of despair. It takes twice as much money to fill up our gas tanks as before. We go to uh, grocery stores that once were full and overflowing with choices for food, and now, Father, they seem meager. We order things online, and it takes weeks and weeks to get them in, if at all. And Lord, little by little, You are removing the creature comforts from us. Help us, Lord, to attribute these things ultimately and finally to Your hands. You are ordering all of these things to cause us to look to You. 
to humble ourselves, to fast, to pray, to confess, to repent, and to find from you our only satisfaction. Help us to do that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.